In the name of the God who is always drawing near. Amen. A wise man can learn more from a foolish question than a fool can learn from a wise answer. This astute observation, attributed to the late Hong Kong American actor and martial arts expert, Bruce Lee, brings me back to something I've heard many wise teachers insist. The only foolish question is the one we do not ask. Lee Jun Fan was born to Cantonese parents in San Francisco. Raised in Kowloon, Bruce Lee later returned to the United States to study at the University of Washington in Seattle. There, students flocked to Lee's wisdom and kung fu expertise, gleaned from years of skillful practice with various combat disciplines. Mixed martial arts, as we know them today, came into being thanks to Lee's innovative excellence. And that wasn't the only thing Lee revolutionized. Lee's iconoclastic acting career began in childhood, and he paved the way for Asian men in this country, especially those of Chinese descent, to break out of Hollywood's limiting stereotypes of that era. Watching an Asian American play George Washington in a recent theater production right here in Atlanta, I couldn't help but celebrate Lee's legacy. Ironically, though, just as his films were gaining international acclaim, Lee died abruptly at the age of 32 of a brain edema. Lee is buried in Seattle's Lakeview Cemetery, walking distance from the Washington Park Arboretum, where John C. Olmsted's turn-of-the-century vision for an extensive park system with green boulevards stretching between Lake Washington and the Puget Sound, has been realized and turned into a collaborative practice of stewardship between the botanical gardens at the University of Washington and the city of Seattle. Both of these organizations tending to the health of the ancient oaks, birches, Asian maples and evergreens that tower like sentinels over the surrounding community. Now, I know we don't usually imagine Jesus and his friends hiking when we hear stories of them in the Galilee. But as we come upon this narrative in today's gospel, that's kind of how I imagine them. Change of scenery, some exercise, a little distance from the crowds and fresh air. Surely this will help the disciples grasp Jesus' point. But no, they are perplexed, even after all this time. And they just can't bear to admit it. They still don't understand their teacher. We too can wind up in that place. Rather than moving through our fear and confusion, coming into contact with those things we desperately avoid, no, we don't do those things. We escape into distractions and discontentment. Who doesn't find it more fun to fantasize about what we could do with proximity to power? And who can really resist the comparison trap anyway? 
What lies beneath our ambitious striving? Such warring, whether it's within or without, causes us to miss Jesus, drawing near with intimate knowledge of our hearts and clarifying kindness that calls us to account. Drawing near to God will mean finding ourselves humbled by this one who already has come close to us in perfect love. Indeed, the God who dares us to trust Jesus will not shame our foolishness, but will transform us to be living witnesses to his glory. So how will we know when love's wisdom is leading us? Our pithy passage from James says that wisdom shows up in behavior that is pure, peaceable, gentle and yielding, merciful, impartial. Quite a contrast, don't you think, to the cravings, conflict, and competition Jesus so often sees cropping up in his disciples? After all, that same question he posed to them hangs here in the room with us. Friends, what are we going on about? Sitting with that question, yes, awkwardly like any disciple, this week I encountered the work of ecologist Dr. Suzanne Simard, a pioneer on the frontier of plant communications and forest intelligence. Not the CIA stuff. No, Samard was raised in a multi-generational logging family in the rainforests of British Columbia. Curiosity and care for the native trees that she grew up cataloging found passion, expressing itself in the family business early in her life. And as an adult, she noticed how competitive industry practices of reforestation were imperiling the viability of future generations of forests. She just couldn't grasp why seedlings in some parts of the woods flourished while others languished, even died. And investigating what she saw in these sobering statistics became the mission of her life. Suzanne's recently published book, Finding the Mother Tree, Discovering the Wisdom of the Forest, recounts the extraordinary unfolding of her scientific discoveries, awakening to those crucial symbiotic relationships that she saw in the forest. Not unlike other understated cooperators, mediators, and helpers in the national world, in the natural world, mycorrhizal fungi long misunderstood teachers in the forest are actually instrumental in helping us grasp the hidden interdependence there. Samard's 1997 scientific article in Nature magazine described a mysterious underground wood wide web. And yes, word nerds like me love this kind of stuff. In that network, she noticed how cooperative care and not competition dominated relationships among species. Nature's mysterious network, yes, 
long predates our technological internet. It's a network in which older trees serve as the biggest communication hubs, subsidizing those smaller, less busy nodes with the messages that get transported back and forth through fungal links. Water, amino acids, even defense signals are transmitted across these synapses between established trees and younger ones as the elders aid seedlings' efforts to adapt and evolve, securing forest regeneration. Without older trees, transplants never take off. The mothering trees are essential to forest survival. So maybe you aren't a tree hugger like me, imagining these generous cedars, these slender birches, and towering Douglas firs as ready teachers, revealing exquisite wisdom and ecological insight to Samard. Even so, I invite you to join me for a brief experiment just now, one informed by Samard's inquisitive spirit. I want you, if you would, to bring to mind the last time you interacted personally with someone whose age was a decade or more different than your own. You can close your eyes if it helps you focus. Remember the exchange that passed between you and this person. What words were spoken? How did you behave? What questions arose in that encounter? Is there anything you might dare to share if you had a chance to connect with that person again? Imagine yourself speaking from the heart, sharing with that other how you feel because of that connection you shared, using whatever words feel natural, And when you feel ready, come back to this space as you open your eyes. Don't worry. If a specific interaction didn't come back to you, you're probably not alone this morning. Most of us keep our calendars tightly packed to maximize productivity. And that can make it hard to discover, as Samar did, these intergenerational networks that lie hidden around us waiting to be discovered. Don't be discouraged if you don't have a friend who's a decade in some other decade of life. You'll get an opportunity to have a chance at real-time connection, a way to explore how that one is connected with you in the sacrament of the present moment as you listen and share from your heart. Yes, you even have such an opportunity next Sunday, September 26th, and again a month later, on Sunday, October 24th, as members of our community gather again in Ellis Hall at 7 p.m., as we've been doing monthly since May, for conversations and Compline. Yes, it's pretty straightforward, if, but if you don't know that evening prayer service from the Book of Common Prayer, it's been juiced up with some gorgeous vocal music. So please come. That part takes place in the chapel where the gentleness of the warmth of that space helps 
bring a restorative pause after what can sometimes be animated conversations. God just might be counting on you to nurture someone new in this place. You might also discover an unexpected gift in the curiosity, kindness, and love that another extends in listening to your stories. In this hectic city, such connections can make a huge difference. They just might hold that spark of growth we are craving in body, mind, and spirit. I suspect trees are not the only ones who could do with more of that mothering energy Samard saw in the intergenerational communion of the forest. What are we waiting for? Might feel like a foolish or even impertinent question just now as COVID confusion and consternation, not to mention human contentiousness, continue to disrupt the flow of grace within the communal body. But our spicy scriptures don't really let us off the hook, whether it's Jesus calling out his disciples or James taking on Christians in the first century church. But you know, the Bible's message is not here to deliver shame and guilt. No, love is scrambling to get our attention, daring us to turn toward the one who already has come near with mastery and wisdom we need to artfully, gracefully, and faithfully face our future resisting what bedevils us, and submitting to God, that is strenuous work. Not to engage it is a sin. Yet love's call to die to self, to rise to new life in Christ, cuts through our fear and fatigue, reminding us that none of us know exactly how much time we will have to make this earthly journey with Jesus and one another. May God's all-sufficient grace and abundant love flow in and through and between us, now and always, that we might glorify Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat>